0: If you don't learn how to lose, you will never really win. Because I feel like when we lose, when we fail, when we hit adversity, when we don't measure up whatever you want to fill in the blank, and we don't know how to do it properly, we don't know how to do it with class, we don't know how to fail forward, as some people say, some people never recover from that. And you could have all the talent in the world.
1: Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to baseballcloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. On today's show, I welcome Michael Schlacht, minor league pitching coach for the Milwaukee Brewers. Michael and I discuss ways that we can properly communicate with players on your team. We also talk about why he thinks one of the most important things that we can learn is how to lose... And we also get into how he approaches data and why pitchers need to learn how their fastball works. You're going to love this episode and here is Michael Schlecht. Michael,
0: welcome to the show. Thank you. Much appreciated. Just definitely you know a pleasure to to be on here. I've I've listened to some of what you do and and I think it's an awesome just sort of space for coaches and and people to get get some understanding of different levels of the game and and just a really good place to come together and and sort of talk about the things that should be addressed when we coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And
1: I think, I think I get too much credit from other people because when they talk about, thank you for putting on the show, but I selfishly, I do these episodes to learn myself and, and then I just get to share it with the world. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for allowing myself to get to know you a little bit better and to ask you some, some questions about player development, but for our guests to get to know you and kind of a little bit of back, uh, about your background. How did you or really what is your baseball background and how did you decide to get into coaching?
0: Well, I honestly never really wanted to be a coach. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but mm-hmm. my goal was since I was a little boy to be a major league baseball player. And and so I went through that whole process. I worked hard. I did the things that everybody does i got drafted out of high school i played i and my story started to change when i had an injury to my shoulder so i tore my rotator cuff i had a surgery i was making a comeback tore my labrum and that kind of ended things so i went seven years in the rangers organization Mm -hmm. bounced around indie ball and finally had an injury that i just couldn't overcome and so I kind of hit a wall, and I was like, what am I going to do? I had all my chips in this in this one corner of, of making it as a player, and I didn't. And, and uh, my independent ball manager in Amarillo in 2014 was Bobby Brown, and he asked me, instead of going home when I told him that I was retiring, he asked if I could maybe try and be his bullpen coach. He saw in me a little bit of an uh, this idea – that I, I like to communicate with guys. I like to help people. Uh, and he just said, hang out. I can't pay you anything, but just see if you like it. And man, I showed up the next day. I went from the clubhouse to the coach's office and I loved every second. And And that kick started my coaching career. And uh, the next year I got the pitching coach job in Fargo uh, in the American Association in Indy Bowl. And I was there three years, became the manager there. And then now I'm with the Milwaukee Brewers in player development.
1: I love that. And I love that. You, you have that background that you played in professional baseball, and I love that you're a continuous learner. I, I think that you have an, an awesome story, and I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And so so you're getting into coaching, and you were with the Brewers last year, and coming back this season, I think all of us in the off season we try and, and pick apart things that we did well and things that we want to get better at. And so what are some different changes changes that you're making from last year to this year that can either be personal, that can be professional, or both of the above? So what are some different changes that you're making in, in the meantime?
0: Well, I'm making changes professionally and personally. I have a lot of really good people in my corner, both away from the Brewers and also in, in the Milwaukee organization. And uh, I have a really good relationship and, and a close relationship with Jake McKinley, who's I'm the director of player development oh, in our system. Jake's amazing. And so I've learned a lot from him this year, just guys, guys in this organization that are pouring into me so that I can pour into players. I just think is, is cool. One thing that I've, I knew coming in and I was, I was a little hesitant in my interview process with with Milwaukee, because I wasn't sure how it was going to fare was, was the data side of things coming from independent ball. And then being a player before the data age, I I didn't have much background in that. And I hit the ground running last spring training and they did a great job of putting the right stuff and the right people Mm -hmm. in my corner to help me with that. But that's where I really need to grow. That's where I really need to, to say, okay, what can I do what can I do to get better? I made big strides. I felt like I was able to help guys. And then I'm looking to just kind of, you know, increase that knowledge, that side of my knowledge.
1: I love that. And I think that, I don't know if you felt this, but I have definitely felt like looking at all the different aspects of when we talk about data, there's so many different directions you can go with that. And there's so many things that you can look at. What's your process been? You say you want to learn more about it, but our my thing is, is let's work, let's learn what's important and let's learn why it's important and let's try and simplify it as much as we can. Because again, there's just so much to look at. I, I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but I'm curious whenever you say I'm wanting to learn more about it, what what do you mean? Well,
0: as you know, Major League Baseball uses uh, different things that, that we use to track players and player development. And that to me uh, came pretty easy. I was able to understand what that means. When I say I wanna like to to learn more, it I want to learn and I want to continue to learn about what what makes it what makes a player better? and specifically for me being a pitching coach, what is it that I can use that allows the pitchers to get better because it isn't the only component in player development, but it is an important piece. It was described to me and I like to tell guys and it's like, you know, you have these doctors and and if they have access to technology and data and metrics and things to do surgeries or something like you would want them to use. that. You want all available tools at your disposal. But at the same time, you can't just throw that on people. You have to understand why it's important, like you said. And so for me, it's okay. what is most important and how can I communicate that to a player without overwhelming them? So it's not that I necessarily need to learn more information. It's more, what can I take from what I know? How can I relay it and communicate it to the player? And how can I do it in a way that I'm not going to overwhelm them and sort of paralyze them with too much information?
1: Mm -hmm. No, I like that. And that's something that, that I've thought to myself getting into pro ball lately. And not only do you have that, you also have the added, I guess, what I'm trying to say is you, you get to work with players from different backgrounds. So you also have players that have maybe played in the Ivy League who maybe have a degree in just economics from Stanford. But you've also got some Latin kids that English is not their first language. And being able to explain it or explain what's important to you to each of those players it's really hard. I, I'm, I'm assuming like I'm looking at this going, OK, what do I need to prepare myself to be able to do? And that's a, a big one that's come up to be able to explain not only data, but just different details uh, to everyone of differing backgrounds. And so I, just walk me through that process. And, and I'm wanting to learn from you. Uh, what are some different things that you've learned as far as as that goes? And it can be data or it can just be, hey, you want to explain the intricacies of the delivery to different kids from different backgrounds speaking different languages and what have you learned in your in your time being a being a coach at different levels l- working with those kids?
0: I've been really blessed to have coached at independent ball levels. I've coached high school. I've done the private lessons, you know, obviously with major league organization. And the number one thing, whether you're relaying data, whether you're relaying information, is to first understand the player's background that you're coaching. You know, you have to know them as people. You have to know where they came from. You have to know what their learning styles are. There's so many different learning styles. I mean, think about school. Like, if you run into that teacher that that can only teach visually and you just don't learn that way, or the teacher that never puts anything up visually and only talks and lectures Mm -hmm. and you never have any notes or anything that you can visually see, it's hard. And so the first step is learning who your player is. Like love that. what's their background? Like what were their parents like? Were they, were they pushed by them? What was their upbringing? Where are they from? I mean, regionally so many things come into, into play. And then you start talking about guys from other countries. I mean, wh- where do they come from? What, what does that mean? And, and once you get that, not only does the, does the player understand that you care about them on a personal level, which opens big doors. Also, it helps you coach them better because number one, we don't want to be cookie cutter coaches. That's what I call it, you know, where it's like you lay out, you roll out this dough and you have one cookie cutter that's Mm -hmm. like in the shape of a star and you just stamp all these different ones. That doesn't do anybody any good. Understanding who they are, where they come from, then allows us to open the door, whether we're talking data, whether we're talking mechanics, whether we're talking the mental side, whatever it is. Understand them first, help them second.
1: And so whenever you're you're getting to know these players, what are some different ways that uh, you get to know them? Is it just, hey, I, I'm going to learn about their background first. I'm going to ask them just where they come from, what they like, what they don't like, some different things. or And even asking them, hey, what data do you like? And I want to get to know them. I want to let them know that I care. And I also want to, to get to learn the learner like you're talking about. So what are some different ways that you do that?
0: Well, the beautiful thing about that is that a lot of it just sort of comes organically being around like the the number one thing that helped me be able to communicate with guys and and help them understand was number one, just having that open door policy, letting them understand that that I am there for them. And I'm not just there for them for something that benefits me, because I think it's easy to say, hey, like I'm here for you when you're throwing well, because that Mm -hmm. makes me look good when they know that you're there when they're playing well or they're playing poorly, that's huge, right? And then the next part of that is saying, okay, like, I am here for you. But when you're down, I'm not going to, like, try to tell you how I fixed it when I played. You want to say, look, I realize you just gave up an eight spot, and that's really bad. But let me tell you about a time that that happened to me. And it doesn't mean that you're sitting here saying, well, that never happened, or you're pretending that it didn't happen, or you're showing them like, hey, I did it too, but now look at me. It's not that. It's just being vulnerable and letting them know that you will be at their level wherever their level is. So when these guys give up eight runs and they've had maybe the worst game of their career, Mm -hmm. specifically like this year, this past year, I was in the Pioneer League. So I had a lot of guys that were new to Pro Bowl. They were right out of the draft. and. When you come out of the draft, you've been successful your whole life. And sometimes that first level is where you kind of get punched in the gut and um, meeting guys where they are in their first taste of real failure is where the most rich communication, the most rich conversations start. And once they know you're there with them in the trenches, that is where it all kind of grows out of.
1: And I love that. And I love the I, I don't think it's easy for any of us as as males that being vulnerable it's I mean and it's not our first inclina- inclination but I think that when we look back on the coaches that have had the biggest impact on us I think they were vulnerable with us or they took the time to like you mentioned organically just get to know us and yeah. I think that it's it's just one of those things that I, our players are our biggest I mean they they have a lie detector test like no other like they can <laughs> smell BS a mile away and that's, I, I think that that's what myself as a coach, I, I want to make sure that, that I'm aware of that. And it, it, that's something that I've definitely learned uh, whenever, you know, whenever I first started coaching, you know, 10 or so years ago, but I mean, they they can smell it pretty quick. And it's just one of those things that's like, if if you're not there for them, they get it in a heartbeat. And I'm sure you found that out as well.
0: Yeah. And I feel like vulnerable is one word you can insert any word that fits your situation, but for me, it was vulnerable because we feel like we have to have all the answers when we're a leader. We feel like like when our players come to us, we need to have the answer right then. And there's something really uh, rich about a player asking you a question and you saying, you know what, I don't know. But let me find that out for you, because what that shows them is that you care enough that in your time away, you're going to be studying or learning something for them for their benefit. And that's one quick, easy way to say, look, I care about you. It's not Mm -hmm. like, oh, coach has all the answers and I'm not really sure if that's right or not. But like mm-hmm. he didn't even give me the time of day. He just had this quick answer, you know, saying "I don't know, but let me find out" or "Let's work on this together." There's something really nice about that, and and it really does open the door for players to feel like they're cared for deeper than just like, well, what's coach in it? For? You know, he's only in it for himself.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you and you say quick and easy. I think the first time that we do that, it's not it's not easy, and then it, it gets easier whenever we develop that relationship with them. Because I know I know the first time that you know whenever again. I was a 21 year old and I was teaching seniors and they were like three years younger than me. And whenever they'd ask me questions, I would, even if I didn't know the answer, I would pretend like I did. Right. Because I thought that the minute that I didn't have the answer, I would lose all credibility and they would write me off. And I think once we get to a certain extent, if we do that every single time that they ask us a question, then I think that they will probably smell that out pretty quick. But I I truly do like the first time that I was like, man, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me go find that out it was not only did it make me feel better, it like you, you mentioned the several different things of, of how you made the player feel whenever you did that. And mm-hmm. it, it took the burden off you of having to know every single thing. But at the same time, it's like, Hey, you're being vulnerable with them and you don't know it, but Hey, you're going to work to go get it and you're going to find it. And, and I think that that's where I think the the maturation of the coach process comes in. And, and I'm absolutely with you right there, but man, it's, I love the, the player, the getting to know the player conversation, but, I want to get into some pitching development. Okay. And you mentioned that you had an arm injury, which led you to getting into coaching after independent ball. And, and I, and I love that. I love getting to hear your experience with that. And, and so we're right in the middle of off season, whenever we're recording this and we're ramping up to in season. And so this is kind of a broad question, but for you, if you're working with guys in the off season, Let's say at the pro level, or it, right after you did your exit meetings, what are some different things that you had those guys focus on? And then we'll kind of curtail it to the amateur side here in just a minute. But especially for the pro side, I mean, what what would what advice would would you give any pro pitchers that are listening or any guys working with with those guys in the off season? What what's their off season look like? Man, yeah, that's a great question. And off season
0: goals, just like in season goals, are so different for every player. So we could go a million Absolutely. ways with this, but. The neat thing too, and you were talking about kind of curtailing it to the amateur guy, they're not always that different. You know, I think, I think at times, like when you're an amateur coach or you're an amateur player, you're like, man, one day when I'm a pro, I'll be, look at all this stuff I'll be doing. And I'll be, you get the spring training and you watch players doing things that, that you did as an amateur. Like it's not that the game mm-hmm. is always that much different. Like, of course, there's a huge talent jump and, and of course, like the players are are a lot better and the competition's a lot better, but a lot of it comes to comes down to consistency. Sure. You look at the difference between some guys that are pitching in college and some guys that are pitching in professional baseball. I don't know that there's much of a stuff difference. I'm sure in some cases there are, but I know that there's a consistency difference in executing sure. pitches, you know, the, the velocity in a lot of cases and, and things like that. But when you're talking about off-season development, I mean, I think the number one thing that guys need to understand is how does your fastball work? We learn to throw a fastball right away when we're playing the game, but what does it do? Mm -hmm. Like, does it have ride? Does it have run? Like, what is it and how does it work? And how can you play that into your benefit? And once you know that, that helps you more easily develop your off speed pitch because the whole idea of tunneling, the whole idea of using data to your, advantage would be what does my fastball do and what's the best way for me to create deception off of that if you're trying to create a curveball that looks like Clayton Kershaw's but your fastball works a different way it's going to be easier to see if you're trying to develop a slider like pick a person that's got a nasty slider Max Scherzer or something but like your fastball has different movement to it it's not always going to work that's not saying that you shouldn't work on new pitches. But if you don't understand your fastball and the mm-hmm. profile that it has, you'll never truly understand the best pitches for you to work off of that. So we always talk about that and and we say, what is it that, that your pitch does and how can you better deceive the hitter with it?
1: No, I really like that. And again, that's a good advice from a guy that's in the big leagues all the way down to the youth level. And I mean, whenever you're looking at baseball from the outside or from the I guess from the highest level down we you start to see some different commonalities different problems or at least you're seeing maybe some different common problems that keep coming up at your level that maybe could have been fixed earlier and so with this question it's what are we missing from the amateur level that when they get to pro ball, they need to know. And you've talked about consistency. You've talked about knowing how to use their fastball. And I really like those. But is there anything else that you you see on a consistent basis that you're like, man, you should learn this in, in high school or, or juco ball or you, you played three years at a D1 and, and you didn't know this. And <laughs> is there anything that comes up whenever you think about that? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And and I love answering this question because people automatically go, "All right, I'm going to write this down because it's going to be some good mechanical stuff and it has <laughs> nothing to do with baseball." If you don't learn how to lose, you will never really win. Like I wish that I could get my hands on these guys 5 years earlier, 10 years earlier to say when you lose, when you fail, You need to learn to do it properly and that will help you 10 years from now. There couldn't be anything more important than that because I feel like when we lose, when we fail, when we hit adversity, when we don't measure up whatever you want to fill in the blank and we don't know how to do it properly, we don't know how to do it with class. We don't know how to fail forward as some people say. Some people never recover from that and you could have all the talent in the world. But if you can't self-evaluate enough to say, man, I'm not good enough and here's what I need to do to improve. And in other words, I failed, but instead of throwing a pity party for myself, I'm going to figure out what the lesson is that needs to come from that. We'll never truly win and find success. So that's the one thing I feel like we're missing is teaching, you know, it's easy to teach guys how to win. Like, I don't think we learn as much from winning as we do losing. If we can, if we can have our head on straight. And if we can be mature enough to say, OK, I lost and that stings and that's OK, but here's what I'm going to learn from it. and I'm going to be better because of it. I think we're going to be able to mold better competitors and better athletes in the future.
1: Well, most of the guys that you get, they probably haven't failed a ton anyways. No.
0: And, and that's part of my job, honestly, at the lower levels of the minor leagues these guys come in, they've never failed. And that's my opportunity to say, look, you might not have lost it or you've never lost before, or you do it very rarely. Or like, you know, that the next time you come out, you're going to win. Well, now you're in professional baseball and you're going to lose a lot more. And so I have a golden opportunity to hit these guys square between the eyes, so to speak, and say, hey, congratulations, you lost. And they're like, what? And it's like, now you really get to learn to win because you lost. And it's just a cool process.
1: So I love that. And and I love that. We're, we're talking about failing. We're talking about all of these different things. And, and another thing that I really like to talk about is uh, different problems or, or what we're looking for in video. And so we can take analytics. We can take data. We can take how the body moves. We can take all of this different stuff. And then uh, we can use video to kind of see what we're looking at with all of that, right? We can, we can put a put a movement to all, the, all of the different data that we're seeing. But let's say that I have a 16 year old son, and I'm like, "Hey, Mike, can you take a look at this video of him pitching, and tell me what you think?" Uh, and I, again, I think we all have biases to to what we look for first, or or what we think should happen uh, within the process, and we have a couple of uh, a few absolutes that we think that most should should do. But what are some of those things that that you look for? What are some different things that? that if our, the best that you can, our listeners, uh, you can explain to them uh, kind of what you're looking for, kind of some different things to, to pick out if they're a dad or if they're, if they're a, a lower level coach or anything like that. Just give them some advice.
0: Yeah, I think the best advice I can give because it's so, uh, there's so many variables at play and there's so many different listeners to this is pick out something each time, like don't feel like you have to just watch that video, that one setting for 10 minutes and then never go back to it. You can say, OK, look, over the next three days, we're going to watch video of your last session, your last bullpen, your last whatever it is. And we're going to look at a different thing each time. I think if we can break it up like that, it really helps because otherwise it can be overwhelming where we're trying to give our athletes so much in one setting because we feel like that's the only time we can look at it. So. I would say the best advice I can give is say, okay, look, we're gonna focus on lower body movement, lower body action, lower body whatever it is on day one or hour one, and then we're gonna take a yep. break. We're gonna step away from it. And then let's look at kind of your trunk. Let's look at the middle, then then we'll take a break. Then we'll look at the upper body. And there's things we can address really quickly, but if we kind of rush through it and just throw a bunch at our athlete. It's going to mm-hmm. overwhelm them and they're really not going to take in enough. So if we can segment it to parts of the body or to sections or to ideas at a time, it allows them to, to digest what we're giving them a lot better. And I think that'll work out for people that are trying to do video sessions. Mm-hmm. Don't throw it all on them at one time.
1: I like that. And another thing that I've really started to like to do is to open with. So what are we looking at? You know, what do you see? what are is this consistent with what you've seen in the past and you'll have some guys that are like i i have no idea coach but it at least it gives them that opportunity to share first rather than me flipping the script and going hey your lower body sucks using some pitching terms i was like you don't move very well your arm action is terrible Your, your inverted w future time whatever so i think that Opening with a question has really been helpful, and I'm, I'm sure with pro guys, there there will su- be some that really surprise you with their with their thoughts on how, how well they look at video. And there are probably some that are like, this is like the second or third time I've ever looked at myself. Yeah. Is, that, is and, that about right? Yeah, exactly
0: right. And, and the cool thing is, this is one of the ways that, like we talked about at the very beginning. Sometimes Mm -hmm. getting in that video room is the best way to sort of open the door and figure out how your athlete learns. We talked about that a little bit, like learning how they learn is critical. And if they look at you and say, I have no idea, I've never watched a video of myself before. This is a great opportunity to realize where you are with that athlete. Um, Also, you're going to get guys that don't really even seem to be interested in what you have to say. Maybe they just like to watch themselves on video, you know? Um, And that's okay too, because at least you know where they stand as well. So like you said, opening with a question of what do you see, not only helps the coach understand where their player is, how they learn, how they communicate, what they're actually seeing, but it, Honestly, it gives you an opportunity to watch and it gives you a breather for a second too to Mm -hmm. to digest. So we don't feel like that. We have to just dive right in and start talking from the very beginning. It allows them to feel more comfortable. Like, hey, wow, coach wants my input. This is cool. Like it it sort of breaks the ice nicely, but also it gives you insight that you need to know about your athlete.
1: No, and I think that the longer I've been a coach, the less that I talk, which I think I'm in. Let's see. This is, uh, this is your 10 for me for coaching. And I think that since I started to this off season, this off season, I've probably said less than I said last year and probably even the same before, which it's crazy to me because there are days that <laughs> there are days that I go home and I'm like, man, did I did I ever did I even say anything today or did I <laughs> even tell them anything today? But it's it's did one of those that. I, I'm, I'm telling you. And I, again, it's, it's one of those that I, I think environment plays a huge role in that. And I know we're getting a little bit off topic, but also I think that like you mentioned, getting them, giving them the opportunity to share because in the end, there's no better coach for themselves than they are. We just have to help them unlock that. And uh, they've, there's been no person that's seen them throw more pitches than they have. They haven't yep. seen it in the view that we're watching at a video, but giving them that opportunity to share it may give us some reasons why they're moving the way that they are that we had no idea about. And I I just think that me being a young coach at at 20 or 21 years old and and trying to show them how much I know, now taking a step back and trying to see how much they know in the first place and then trying to help them fill in blanks or learn them about themselves has been so much more beneficial. And, again, you're going to have your guys for maybe a month, maybe a year, uh, hopefully no more than that. And then they're moving up and then they have to be able to do it without you. And yep. And I, it'll be the same thing, same thing for me and, and has been am- in my amateur career as well. But it's just one of those things that I'm like, it's they, the, the more that I talk, the less that they're actually learning and the more that they're going to turn me off. But if I, I think that if I can say less, if I can ask the right questions, then when I do say things, it's going to mean a little bit more to, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you could, apply this in so many different life situations. I mean, think about like as a parent, as a brother or like a sibling, as a friend, whatever it is, it's like the people that talk a whole lot and never actually listen. I mean, the words get watered down. It it doesn't mean that it happens all the time, but the people that are always with you, like physically there, sometimes those, that means more. Like you don't always have to say anything. The presence Their presence is the present. I say that sometimes, like for my kids, people like my parents are like, "Well, what should we get your boys for for Christmas or whatever it is, or their birthday?" And I'm like, honestly, like just be with them. Like your presence is the present, and that's true of the player as well. In a lot of cases, like if we show up and start talking and talking and talking and talking, not only is it overwhelming, they're not going to retain it, and frankly they're going to be like, Oh my goodness. Like, mm-hmm. when is he going to kill this guy? Like, can he stop? You know where, and the root of everything is that we can't stand on the mound with them. Like we can't mm-hmm. be in the batter's box with him. We're not standing in left field with him. We're not behind the dish with them. Like we have to, to prepare them the best way that we know how, give them the best available methods to learn. And then we watch them run onto the field and we have to trust that our coaching has done enough to allow them to be successful. Have we put our athlete in the best possible scenario to succeed? And I think that if we can do the types of things that you've been talking about and that we've hit on so far, like it's going to really help.
1: I'll tell you one thing too. I, I have never been more nervous like in a baseball game setting than when I started coaching. Cause it's like, whenever we can control the outcome in a game, we're like, okay, I got this. And then whenever we're watching them, we're like, because we want to be their biggest fans and we want them to be successful. And and we hurt with those guys whenever they're not. But I'll tell you what, it makes me so much more nervous as a coach than I ever did as a player. It's crazy.
0: And it's okay to be that way too, like because I think a lot of times when, again, like we've hit on that as as guys, we don't want to kind of share that emotion. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like if you get really down to it if the player knows that you're nervous for them or that you're nervous or that you you're like anxious or whatever like you don't always want to show it but at the same time if you can let them in right. a little bit that you have emotion too in a positive way like you care so deeply that
1: you you're emotionally invested in this that goes a long way mhm no i love that uh, so another question for you as far as you're you're getting guys that again come from all walks of life, and most of them are, are right out of college. So, another thing that they have to deal with is workload management. I mean, they probably once they get to you and then the next level up, they've probably never thrown for that long in their entire life consistently. I mean, unless they're playing baseball year round and on the an amateur level, but that's something that I know it's a buzzword that's thrown around. We want to talk about workload management and we want to talk about how, how we can reduce arm injuries. But just what are your thoughts on that and how do you help them to learn themselves well enough to know how to do like pre and post throwing routines and how to take care of their body, how to eat right, how to sleep? I mean, all of the above. Just what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, number one and, and the overarching idea here like for, for me is I'm super blessed to be in an organization where there's people that are a lot smarter than I am that help out with this type of stuff that in a major league organization, you have nutritionists and you have people in the front office and you have the strength and conditioning and the athletic trainers. And there's so many people in these players corners that all are working for one common goal of healthy players and productive players that a lot of this gets put onto my desk and they say, here's what we believe is best and let's make sure this happens. And, um, I like that a lot because if we try to know it all, we're only just going to be average at a lot of stuff. And and I know that sounds weird because you want to know a lot and and it is good to always be learning. But academically, to always be learning is totally different than trying to know it all. If we take complete control of something And that's our strength. That's awesome. If we try to Mm -hmm. take control of a million things and we never learn to delegate, then these athletes aren't going to get our best. And so Mm -hmm. I love having a bunch of different people, a bunch of really smart people that are telling me what's best because that's where they specialize. However, strictly from a pitching standpoint, when I'm able to tell a player, Hey, you know, your body better than anything, like cut down to it when we're in season, workload management comes down to almost simply like how do you feel because we can put numbers into a computer and we can look at all these different things and we can say by all accounts he should be tired or by all accounts he should be fresh but only the player truly knows and so getting them to know that you care getting them to know that you're that their best interest and like their health is our best interest that's that's when they start to be honest with you. And then when you take their honesty because they know you care and you mix that with all of the the people in the organization that specialize in this stuff, really good things happen from a workload management standpoint.
1: No, oh, definitely. And again, I think everything that we've talked about today comes back to getting to know uh, the player and learning the learner and and all of the above. And that advice is good from the the big leagues all the way down to the youth level. And the better we can get to know the athlete, the better we can help them and serve them And another thing that a lot of that take in mind, a lot of our listeners are in the team setting and they may not have the staff that Mm -hmm. you guys have with the brewers. And so they may have, they may be the the sole pitching coach for the entire program with 20 or 30 guys that throw. And so that could be either college level, uh, high school level, uh, you know, anything on the the amateur spectrum. But uh, with that being said, what are some different ways that they can, that they all can do a better job of individualizing uh, just player development from a pitching standpoint, because it's not easy no. and anything that you can do to, or any advice that you can give them, uh, because I know it comes up in a lot of different circles and we've had so many different people reach out to ask that question, but it's not easy when you're one guy or two guys with that many players. So can you give them any advice?
0: Yeah. And and I was the one guy for a long time. Um, and I think the best thing that happened To me, it was getting advice of setting baselines, understand where the player came from, understand what their workload was, understand Mm -hmm. what they're capable of. But then say, "Okay, you're with me now and we're going to set a baseline and whatever you feel is important in that baseline. It could be velocity. It could be pitches. Track everything. Write everything down. Have proof of everything that you're doing, everything that they've done and how that went and so what you start to see at the beginning it just looks like some numbers it just looks like information but over the course of time you start to see okay this is where they started i noticed that when he pitches in this role or when he throws this number of pitches or when he throws this frequently in a series or in a a week or whatever it is like his stuff goes down but you have that baseline if you have access to different data things like rap Soto, like that's perfect but even Mm -hmm. if you don't even if you have a simple radar gun like radar guns sometimes they get a bad rap like because we see you know seven-year-olds getting radar gun and like the parents are like i want them to throw harder well okay that might not be the best thing to do (laughs) but what you could do is say i'm going to use this radar gun for all of my pitchers." if you don't have access to something like rap soto or or trackman or anything like that you could say Mm -hmm. here is my baseline and so at least I know this is where you started. Here's the improvements you've made or here's where you declined. And then I'm going to do some critical thinking and figure out, well, you declined because why? Was it because I threw you, you threw too much? Was it because this long toss program isn't working? Was it because maybe you're not doing enough sprint work or you're you're not doing your dynamic warm up or like, what is it? And that's going to look differently for everybody. But if you have the proof, if you have written things down, if you have the the data, and I mean data by just simply being, numbers that's
1: going to be huge over the course of a season no and and every single one of those things that you just said you started with a question and I think that again when we talk about players having self-awareness I think that every one of those questions you could ask the player and even if you're not again if you're a one coach with 30 guys it's going to be really hard to track all of that stuff but I think that all of those questions are great. And I think that you you can really find some different answers if you ask the right questions. Yes, for sure. So with within that, you mentioned that we're looking at data and we're looking at different things that they're doing. So let's say that, let's say I'm on your staff and I think that my, my curveball is just nails, right? But you're looking at it from a data standpoint and it may be my third best pitch and my slider may be a better pitch. Mm-hmm. But let's say that I throw my curveball at like, I don't know, like, 30% of the time and I throw my slider at like 10% of the time. What does that conversation look like to try and convince me that the slider is a better pitch even though if 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 you were like hey Jonathan what do you think your you know your best off speed pitch and I'm like man my curveball is like Clayton Kershaw's it's it's amazing like it's been my best pitch my entire career and you're like well and then what would you say? Well I think first is everyone wants to be told the truth. People don't
0: like to hear the truth all the time, but everyone wants it. Sure. And yeah, there's 100%. so many situations in my past where it's like, I really wanted the truth. I just didn't want to hear it because sometimes it's not what we want to hear, but it's what we need. And so I love that. I would say, listen, Jonathan, I love that your confidence allows you to, to believe in your curveball. And that's what you need in order to improve it. But let's look at what actually needs to happen for you to be successful And so then that opens the door. Like they say, okay, wow, like this guy, he recognized that I'm confident, but Mm. he also told me straight up, like, but if you really want to be successful, here's what we need to look at. So it's not that you're spitting on on your curveball. It's not that I'm saying, hey, trash it. Don't ever throw it again. It's saying, hey, while we make your curveball better and here's why, let me show you the best way that you can be successful now. And it's because mm-hmm. you're not throwing your slider enough, which actually plays off your fastball better, actually has the better data or actually has better ability to be the swing and miss pitch. So the conversation has to look like it has to be centered around truth. Sure. And and if it's not centered around truth or we kind of beat around the bush or we kind of act hesitant or we're kind of like, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's like, well, you're going to I need to tell you anyway. And so mm-hmm. I might as well get right to it. But if we tell truth and there's no like care or love behind it, it's not going to be well received, right? If they know you care and they know that that you have their best interest in mind, the truth will will sting a little less because they'll know that it's actually for their better.
1: Right. And I I mean, I I think that we we as coaches and I I am completely talking about myself uh, again and and I guess the third person. But uh, looking back, I would sugarcoat things rather than telling the athlete what they needed to do to get better. And so that's something that I'm a, a people pleaser and I love, or I, I guess, and, and I'm started to, to try and get better at this, but being able to tell the truth with love and we're, we're always towing that line of, Hey, this is a truth that sh- maybe not should be said in it's kind of our opinion, but you're talking about, Hey, here's, here's the data. Here's what it says. I heard you out. I love that you're talking about this, but here, you know, here's something to back it up. And here's what's going to make you better in your career. I think with this, this is what data is saying. And this is what hitters are doing against you. And this is what's going to just going to make you better, which is going to help hopefully help us to get you to the big league someday. Which I think if you're telling a player, Hey, this is, this is not my opinion. This is something that that I or it may be your opinion but it, it's something that I've I've been working through it's something that's deeply rooted in a lot of the different things that that I believe in here's the information and now it's up to you to go to go execute but right. telling the truth and not beating around the bush is I, man I I look back again early in my career and and I I wanted to help the athlete get better and, and tell them that hey you're you may be better than they are because we're always towing that line between totally breaking them down and then helping them help sugarcoat things to not get better. But I I love that. And and that's something that I'm continually trying to get better at just because uh, I want to do it eloquently, but the player also needs to hear it. And early on in my career, I don't think I did a very good job with that. And
0: I'm not even sure that it really matters how you deliver it, as long as they know that you care about them. The truth,
1: whether, whether it's
0: a really heated situation, whether it's like a situation that you have to tiptoe more carefully, whether it's whatever it is, like as long as you're truthful and as long as they know that you care about them, it'll be received. It might just take them 24 hours. They might have to sleep on it and you got to be okay with that because there's a lot of situations where these guys are confident, you know, and and as a player, like you, you're, you're driven by competition and proving people wrong. And so like Mm -hmm. a natural response to you saying that to a, to a player, or like if I said that to you, like your natural response might be, oh, yeah, well, my curveball is good. Let me show him. Sure. Which is, like which is, but that's great. Like, at least then you know your player has that in them. But at the same time, you have the proof. And it doesn't always have to be what you're looking at on a computer screen. You can give them real-world examples and say, hey, like, but your last outing, can you count how many times X happened when you threw your slider versus how many times whatever happened when you threw your curveball? Even if you don't have access to Rap Soto. Or TrackMan or anything like that. Give them examples. Yeah. You could say, "Look, here's why." And I've written down every single time you threw your slider in this count, or every time you followed your slider with this, or every time, whatever it is. Here's what happened, and I just want you to be the best that you can be. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll even if it takes 24 hours, even if it takes a week, even if like the next year. They never actually came around with you as their coach, but the next year they come back and they're like, hey, coach, like, you remember you said that? Yeah, I finally figured it out. Like, because sometimes Mm -hmm. our job as a coach, like we want to be the one that does all the changing, you know, we want to like we want the light bulb to go off with every player. And if you can think about it as like a farmer, like sometimes our job with with a player is to simply plant the seed and it takes it takes time for that bloom to happen. And it might not be that year. You may not even be around to see it, Um, but you still have to plan it anyway.
1: I love that. And and I was actually going to get, get to that uh, with my next question, which was, you know, going to be, so you've given them all of that and they still don't take it. But I, I really think that you, that you've answered that. And we as coaches, we're, we're quick to try and help players. I I think in a large part, because we care and hopefully a, a small part, like a, a very small majority just because of ego. But I, I really think that we can see the player, we've seen them move, we've seen, and we've got different ideas on, on how to help them. But if they don't buy into it, then it's then it's not going to make them better. And I think that you did a such a great job of, of saying planting seeds because you've given them data, you've get or you've given them countless examples of of why you think that it should happen. And if they don't take it, then we should move on. like or, or it may, like you mentioned, it may take a season and it may take them having some failure and losing uh, to be able to make those adjustments, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if we, if we don't think that that's okay, then I think that we're probably taking too much ego into thinking that we can change a player's career based on one conversation.
0: Yeah, I had coaches in 2004 when I first entered professional baseball that told me stuff, and it didn't make sense until... I got to double A like years later. It didn't, or it didn't make sense until I got hurt and I had to learn how to actually pitch. I didn't have like pure stuff anymore, or uh, whatever it was like. And, and sometimes, like that's the the gap that I lived that out was from 2004 to 2010, and in some cases it was 2004 to 2013 or or something where it's like, if only I would have listened in 2005 to what my coach said, but still the coach planted the seed anyway. And and that's our job. Like if you a a cool example is like when you look at how long it actually takes bamboo to grow. um, And I don't know the exact number, but I was reading about this where bamboo takes years and years and years and years and years to even break the ground. But like that plant or that seed had been down there for many years. And so that we have to sort of be a farmer coach. Like we have to say, I don't know what the weather is going to be. There's so many variables that are out of my control. Like I realized that a tornado could come and rip up my crops. Like I realize that it could rain and, and for days and like they never grow like or you fill in the blank with what could happen. But I'm still going to plant the seeds. I'm still going to do my work. I'm still going to plow the field. I'm still going to do the things that I need to do because if I do it and I do it diligently and I do it with a lot of love and I do it with a lot of knowledge or the best knowledge that I can have. I'm giving my crops the best opportunity to grow and to become all that they are created to be.
1: Sure, sure. I think that you just mentioned the difference between hearing something and listening and then understanding it, which I think is wisdom over time. And And I think that once we get the player to buy into that or letting them do that on their own, then you're going to be able to make meaningful meaningful conversations and meaningful adjustments rather than making them do something to when then they're just doing it half assed and not not getting any better. They're not, not getting the buy in that you want from them, right. and they're they may be feeling uncomfortable on the mound or in the box. But I'd like to learn again a little bit more about you on the personal side and the learning side. And so let's uh, let's go with some quick hitters here. And the first one is what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited?
0: Man, I've recently been going through the driveline pitching certification. And not necessarily, like, one thing, but to sit there and to, to go through this process and to learn a whole lot about pitching, a whole lot about science, a whole lot about biomechanics, a whole lot about everything that I didn't know is really humbling. And I'm really excited that you can be in the game for a really long time and never know it all. It just brings, like, a renewed passion to every day that you get to wake up and like kind of be expectant. Like, what is it today that I'm going to learn? And as I go through these things and I, and I see these different ideas that, that I'm learning about, I think I'm most excited about the direction that the game is going. I think there's a lot of people buying in to science and they're buying in to player development and they're buying into culture and they're buying into all these things that are going to make our game better And we're in this window of time where people are going to look back and see that this is where the momentum shift happened. Like baseball began to get better. Culture began to get better. Player development began to get better. And and this group of coaches was a big part of it. And so I'm excited to learn more and be be around people that are that are forward facing like that.
1: Uh, what is something that you guys, that you do specifically, or it could be an organizational thing. It could be just a thing that you do with, with your, with your pitchers that you're working with, but what's something that you do that, that they love? Like it could be a game, it could be a competition, be something that you guys just do for fun. But if you showed up tomorrow and you said, Hey guys, we're doing this, they would get so excited. Uh, what would that be? I think it's organizationally, but it's also me is creating
0: competition in whatever it is that we're doing. I mean, some of the most mundane tasks on a baseball field can be PFPs, you know, but to, to create a game, to create competition around it, where you not only are getting the competitive juices flowing, but you're also getting them better. In I think that's, that's the one thing that I feel like, especially in an extended spring training setting where it can be a really low pulse at times. Um, mm-hmm keeping guys at the height of their competitiveness is huge and and that could go for high schoolers or travel ball or that could go down to little league even it's like nobody really likes to practice i think if you ask 20 players like do you would you rather practice or would you rather play i think you know what the answer is overwhelmingly and so to me that's a little bit sad because if you're not able to practice like and you're not having fun in practice there's probably something wrong and so, as a coach, like being able to self evaluate and say, Am I just like that teacher that just stands up there and is monotone and lectures and doesn't do anything? Like, am I that? And, and if you are, it's okay because there's always time to, to change. And so, again, like I guess you and I like to get long winded with answers, but to sum it up, like create competition, keep guys on their toes, keep them guessing. And, and try to simulate like real game adrenaline and, and real life competition as much as possible. Write it down, have leaderboards, like have them talking about it when they go home so that like they'll text each other and sort of be smack talking a little bit. And, and you'll really find guys to show up and be more driven the next day.
1: I love that. So uh, the next question is, what is something that you believe to be true that you either debate with other coaches playfully or that they may disagree with you about?
0: I was texting a guy last night actually about this and and he was saying like one run games are are a product of luck more than skill. And I said, that's probably true if it's like 16 to 15 and you win. But like when you're talking about these low scoring games, I understand like you want to score a lot of runs, but like you're doing something right if you're able to consistently win one run games, whether it's teaching your team discipline, whether it's under being confident in the face of adversity, whatever it is, like that's one thing. I think also like the cookie cutter coach thing, That's super important to me, like saying, like, I have a certain way that I communicate and I have a certain way that I like to teach pitching, but I have to tailor it to many different people. If we try to put our stamp on a bunch of different people, it's just not going to work. And there's a lot of people that might not understand or might not buy into that. And so that's a big topic of conversation in my group, too.
1: Fantastic. So if we showed up tomorrow and we watched you coach or we watched you in a training session, what do you think that? What, do you, what are a couple of things that you think that we would notice or that you hope you we, we would notice? Well,
0: I really hope that you would see passion. I really hope that you would feel like you're not watching me do my job. You're watching me do what I was meant to do. And I really hope that you would show up and say, hey, like that guy right there has his players' backs to the very end. If you could see that and if you could see truth and if you could see me enjoying myself and not looking miserable – I think I've had a good day at work.
1: Oh, I love that. And then finally, you mentioned driveline earlier, but what are some different? They could be pitching resources, coaching resources, whatever. But what are some different resources that have helped shape your coaching career?
0: A lot of books from various things. I mean, I feel like if if we're not learning consistently, you know, we're in big trouble. If we're not always growing as as people, obviously we need to we need to always learn things about the game or things about sports, you know, whatever we're in. Specifically for me, baseball, obviously, like if if I'm not learning about pitching and learning cutting edge stuff, I'm going to get left behind. But the same is true if I'm not learning about leadership, if I'm not learning about people, if I'm not learning better ways to communicate, if I'm not learning other languages, if I'm not doing everything that I can from both baseball, but also life, leadership, culture, language, all of those, if I'm not doing all of those well and getting better at them, I'm going to get left behind and so will anyone else. And so I'm currently taking a language course that's offered by Pimsleur, P-I-M-S-L-E-U-R, I think, and, and you can listen to it on your phone. So I'm, I'm learning Spanish that way. And I'm doing the driveline pitch certification and I'm reading stuff on fan graphs and I'm, I'm listening to podcasts on leadership and I'm reading, I just got for Christmas, I got some awesome books from like James Clear, you know, like Atomic Habits. Like I'm, I'm trying to hit on all different cylinders. Like I'm trying to hit on coaching, baseball stuff, but I'm also trying to hit on the leadership and the relationships and all that kind of stuff as well.
1: Perfect. And I guess the last question that I have for you before we do our last stuff is, do you have a new New Year's resolution and what is it? Well,
0: every time I try to do a resolution, it's done by like January 20th. So, what I'm trying this year, and I did it last year, was I got this from John Gordon. I do the one word. And last year, my one word was simplify. And it was simplify my life. It was simplify my coaching, simplify my communication, kind of the things we talked about. But I think, like, I haven't quite hit on the, the one word yet that this time between Christmas and new year's is like big on reflection, like as we record this right now. And so I'm still trying to lock down like my one word, but I think that's huge. Resolutions are awesome. And if, if, if that's something that people do, like I love it. My resolution of sorts is to say, all right, what's one word that's going to define me and shape me and help me grow in 2020. And I'm still trying to settle on that, but I think simplify is a good one. Because a lot of times we become that restaurant that's got a 30-page menu and our food's just okay rather than like the place that's got five items and they're all awesome.
1: Right. Yeah. Cheesecake Factory comes to mind Ooh. that I'm like, I just choose a page and then put my finger down. Yeah, you and have to. what I get. <laughs> right. All right. So, Mike, I, I appreciate you being on the show. And, man, it's we've talked about so much. I, I feel like we... Talk more about leadership and communication than anything else, but that's probably the biggest part of our jobs. But if there's anyone who would like to communicate with you uh, online, how would they get in touch with you?
0: I think the best way is on Twitter, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L underscore schlacht, S-C-H-L-A-C-T. You can find me on there. And I love to put out stuff. I love to have conversations. And I think that's probably the best way. And uh, I'm all over the country, you know, with baseball. So if you ever see me, don't don't hesitate to say hello. But I I appreciate this so much because I love the coaching community. And as a professional coach now, I love pouring into coaches that are coaching the young kids because before we know it and before we can blink an eye, those 10-year-olds are in Pro Bowl or those 10-year-olds are fathers or they're in the workforce or they're contributing to society. And it's like, we feel like as coaches, we're not doing anything if they don't get better on the field. But if we're really coaching them, not only are they getting better on the field, but they're becoming better people, too. And I think that sometimes means more than anything else. Because, like, we forget that coaches probably influence people more than their own parents do because we're with them more. And sometimes we're that only positive influence they get. So I think remembering, like, one day, whoever's wearing your uniform, they're only wearing it for one year on average but they're going to be people that are contributing and living in society for years to come. And so let's, let's strive to make them better people. Let's strive to make them better parents, better leaders. And I think we can't go wrong in that way.
1: Well, and I, wow, I I don't think there's a better way to end the show than that. I was going to ask you if there's anything you'd like to tell our listeners before you go, and I still will, but that's a great way to end it. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell them?
0: Man, just, just that, that's my charge to coaches. Like, Remember that the people that you're leading are going to go places well, well, well after the game's over, you know, they're going to take that uniform off, but they're going to be members of society. They're going to be dads and they're going to be moms and they're going to be, they're just going to be out there and, and strive to be that leader that they say your name or your organization. When people ask them, man, like when when did your life turn around? Or when did you learn that? When did you become so wise? Or what like be the coach that they say, that guy helped me see it.
1: Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, Please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.